calling all lovers of mystery and fans of a good story. If you haven't already heard me talk about June's journey, you're in for a treat. It's time to don your detective hat in this free hidden object mobile game that delves into the captivating journey of June Parker, a self-proclaimed detective on a quest to unravel the mystery surrounding her sister's untimely death. In June's journey, you get to play as June, deciphering clues and unveiling secret plots within thousands of beautifully illustrated scenes. And did I mention it's set in the glitzy 1920s? New chapters are added weekly, so you will never run out of new thrills to uncover, and you can also personalize and decorate your very own Orchid Island where the story takes place. How sharp are your detective skills? Find out when you download June's Journey on your Android or iOS device, or play online via Facebook games. Your detective journey awaits. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Welcome, friend. Follow me. We're going somewhere dark, somewhere dangerous. Most people would never dare enter the place we are going. There's no telling what horrors we'll find, what terrors we'll uncover. Don't say I didn't warn you. We might discover terrible monsters lurking there. Be careful, they could follow you out. Or maybe they're already inside you. Are you afraid? Good. Now you are ready to enter the Warning Woods. Bill Kepke thought he had the gift of foresight. Sometimes he joked he could actually predict the future. Turns out, he may have just been lucky until he wasn't. Bill started the regional chain Kepke Sauna with one location on the west side of St. Louis. Patrons could pay by the minute to sit and sweat in a dry sauna. Bill soon opened a bigger location offering dry, steam, and later, infrared saunas. At the spark of the biohacking and holistic health movements, Bill's success had shocked his compatriots in the business district. But a few years later, as Whole Foods and Kombucha blew up, it came as no surprise that Kepke Sauna blew up with them. By 2023, Kepke had multiple locations in St. Louis and throughout the greater state, as well as two in southern Iowa and one in Illinois. Its headquarters in St. Charles housed 17 employees, including Bill and his COO, Tara Machnik. Tara had met Bill as a patron of his second location. She gave him a few suggestions, minor improvements upon his sales model, and he hired her to manage franchising. The rest is history. The power duo was invited to share a keynote presentation at a franchise management conference in Cedar Rapids, Iowa. They spent weeks deciding what they would say, preparing slides, and planning the trip. Bill had given countless presentations, but this was the first time Tara was also being given the spotlight. Bill assured her the opportunity was long overdue. They had to leave at five in the morning to make it to Cedar Rapids on time. Bill insisted they take his car, a Lexus wrapped in Kepke sauna branding, so that everyone at the conference would recognize who it belonged to. 
He insisted it would give them both credibility. Tara rolled her eyes indiscreetly. The Lexus was nice, sure, but Bill acted like it was a Bentley or a Benz or something. Tara spent most of the Missouri stretch on her phone, handling business she would have preferred to ignore. She wondered if that was the real reason Bill had insisted on driving, so that he would have an excuse just to stare ahead and bob along to Snoop Dogg. She suggested they drill potential audience questions to pass the time. Bill evaded her attempts to practice until they crossed into Iowa. Then the nerves began to settle in, and he decided a little warm-up session might be wise. Tara lobbed softball questions with the occasional toughy about conflict resolution or bad PR for half an hour. Then she asked Bill to hit her with a few rounds. Okay, how about... What would you do if one of your franchisees was in the news for something bad? Well, Bill... Tara addressed him as if he were a big-time talk show host. First, let me say there's no such thing as bad press. Anytime your brand is... Bill? Bill looked up, and his stomach sank. The mirror was flashing red and blue, and was filled by the Dodge Charger riding his bumper. He checked the speedometer. Even though his foot had come off the gas the instant he saw the cop, the needle still pointed to 77 miles per hour. Bill obediently pulled his prominently wrapped Lexus to the shoulder. A skinny officer with a patchy beard approached them, taking small, weird steps. His uniform hung off his wiry frame, making him look frail. His car, Bill could see in the side-view mirror, was unmarked. The red and blue lights were flashing from behind his windshield and under the push bumper attached to the front. Bill always wondered why unmarked cars still had those bumpers, they seemed like a dead giveaway. Good morning, sir, ma'am, the officer said. Know why I pulled you over? Bill said, yes, I am so sorry. We were... Hang on, Tara interrupted. What department are you with? Mount Pleasant PD, ma'am, the officer stated proudly. To Bill, Tara said, we passed Mount Pleasant ten miles back. And to the officer, why are you out this far? The officer coughed loudly, then said, I've been tailing you. I radioed state patrol before I stopped you. They've got somebody on the way if you'd prefer to wait for them. I would, said Tara. Oh, come on, Tara, that could take forever. We're going to be late, Bill complained. I don't trust this supposed cop, Tara said. Excuse me, ma'am? I just don't get why you're way out here in an unmarked car and it's making me uncomfortable. You know what? I'm going to call... She trailed off and reached into her purse for her phone. Hey, hands where I can see him, the officer shouted just like a television cop. He drew his gun, pointing it across Bill at Tara's face. She screamed and raised her hands to the roof. As she shouted apologies, the officer circled around to her side and ordered her to step out. I'm sorry for reaching, but I really want to wait for state patrol, Tara said, holding back tears. The defiance in her voice had gone replaced by trembling fear. The officer's gun dropped to her heart. Bill said, Tara, please, as the officer yelled, Get out, now! She obeyed. The officer holstered his gun and unlatched his handcuffs. You have the right to remain silent. Oh, come on, that's not necessary. Now Bill was complaining on Tara's behalf. The officer said, Sir, don't make this go this way for you too. 
He cuffed Tara's hands behind her back and started patting her down. What are you arresting me for, huh? What crime? Tara demanded. You were interfering with my traffic stop, ma'am. That's a huge stretch and you know it, Bill scolded. Tara said, I was just talking. Bill, she's obviously not a threat. Ignoring them, the officer walked Tara back to his car and shoved her into the back. He then returned to Bill with more confidence than he'd had the first time. The supposedly hostile interaction seemed to have relaxed the officer rather than spin him up. Sir, here's what I'm going to need you to do, the officer said. First, what's your name, son? asked Bill. Brundy, and I would appreciate it if you called me sir, sir. Officer Brundy added poison to the second sir. So, I'm going to need you to follow me back to the station to wait with her while we sort this out. If you two cooperate, she'll just get a ticket and you can go on your way. Bill asked, why can't you just give her the ticket here? Well, sir, um, Brundy hesitated. Well, to be honest, I can't connect to our uh, database out here, so that's why I gotta go back to the station. How far? asked Bill. Ten miles or so, shouldn't be long. Begrudgingly, helplessly, Bill said, Lead the way. After turning around, Bill followed Officer Brundy and Tara to an obscure-looking exit. None of the usual signs for gas, food, or lodging were posted, not even a rest area. It was simply a ramp leading to an eastward road. That raised an alarm. Bill remembered passing through Mount Pleasant on the way up, and they had not doubled back that far yet. Maybe, he thought, this is some back way to bypass traffic. But his alarm was again raised when Brundy turned south on a shoulderless, barely paved road between two fields. Too many trees stood ahead for any town to be there. Now Bill's skeptical mind geared up. The unmarked car. Anyone could buy one of those at auction. An old one retired from police service. Would it still have a cage in the back like the one Tara was trapped in? Probably not but those were probably easy to install. And red and blue lights could be purchased online for a bargain. And then he wondered, why hadn't Officer Brundy asked either of them for an ID? Wasn't that usually step one? Tara's purse was still in Bill's car. Didn't the officer want to know who he had arrested? And what about the state trooper he said was on the way? Did he just call him off? None of it made sense. And the more Bill meditated on the strange encounter, the more he feared for Tara's safety. They were in the trees now. The road grew narrower, then turned to gravel. Officer Brundy slowed. Bill crept up close enough to see Tara's frantic silhouette in the back seat. She was speaking or shouting animatedly and flipping her head from side to side, probably questioning what they were doing in the woods. Bill wished he could separate and go get help, but that would give the so-called cop a chance to take Tara wherever he wanted. If Bill split off now, he would lose her and maybe never find her again. He could call 911, yes. He would explain how he thought Tara had been kidnapped and tell the real cops they were... Where were they now? He looked around for any signs or markings. He scolded himself for not memorizing the exit number. 
but they could track his cell phone, right? Triangulated or whatever. He slid his hand into his pocket, gripping the reassuring shape of his phone. But then Bill was slightly comforted by an unexpected sight. Another unmarked police car was parked up ahead, facing them on the side of the road. Brundy stopped next to it, and another officer in a uniform identical to Brundy's got out. Bill rolled his window down to eavesdrop on their conversation, but they were too quiet. All he could hear was Tara's hysterical pleas. After a short chat, the other officer got back in his car, backed it up, and revealed a skinny, dirt road into the trees. Bill's exhausted emotions trended back towards fear. Brundy's tires popped gravel as he turned the wheel toward the little road. The idea that it might be a shortcut slipped through Bill's mind like a greased egg. Wishful thinking. Bill hesitated until Brundy's bumper vanished behind some bushes near the road's entrance. Then he felt no choice but to follow. In his rear view, he watched the second cop pull back in front of the road, blocking it. Then the bushes started moving. Bill jammed his car into reverse. He floored the gas, but it was already too late. The electronic swinging gate disguised with bushes and vines was already three quarters of the way closed. The second supposed cop exited his car, started screaming at Bill to drive, and pointed up the road. Bill looked forward and saw Brundy had stopped too. He briefly considered running, but banished the useless idea. The gate clanged shut. Brundy was out of his car now, and he started walking back to Bill's. Between his knees, Bill shakily gripped his phone in one hand, while the other nervously tapped the screen. He was trying to dial 911 without looking down and giving himself away. Brundy must have guessed this was happening, though, because he suddenly broke into a sprint. He tried to open Bill's door, but it was locked. The second officer appeared beside him pointing his gun at Bill through the window and screaming at him to drop his phone. Bill obeyed. They screamed at him to open his door. Now two guns were pointed at him, at his head and chest. So again, Bill obeyed. They screamed at him to put his hands up while Brundy reached in and took Bill's phone. He saw Tara's purse and confiscated that too. An uncanny relief washed over Bill as he wondered if this was only a complex robbery scheme. Maybe these guys were just modern highwaymen and trapping unfortunate travelers and taking their valuables. That would be highly preferable over the horrific scenarios Bill had started imagining after the gate closed behind them. You idiot, this is a company car, Officer Number 2 suddenly scolded Brundy. Brundy said, So? So, company cars all have trackers in them so the capitalist overlords know exactly where they are at all times. Brundy begrudgingly asked Bill, Is that true? It wasn't, but Bill lied. Oh yeah, they've got this thing wired up with all sorts of sensors and trackers. I can't even speed without setting off an alert. I bet they've already contacted the real cops after seeing me go so far off course. Brundy swore softly. The second man said, Take these two in. I'll get the car out of here and see if I can destroy the tracker. Then, at Bill, he screamed, Get out! The man was still holding his gun, so Bill obeyed. Come on, said Brundy. 
he led Bill to his car and opened the back door. Tara lunged out like a wild dog. Grundy shoved Bill aside violently. He heard a pop, a crack, a bang. He wasn't sure exactly what to call it. It sounded strangely foreign, almost dreamy. Bill knew what the sound was. He simply could not believe it was real. His mind would not accept it. Not until Tara fell beside him, moaning. Still dazed, Bill let himself get dragged to his feet. The second man had appeared to help Brundy hoist Bill into the back seat of the fake police car. They shoved Tara in next. Brundy hurried into the driver's seat, slammed the car into gear, and sped up the narrow road. Bill inspected Tara. First her gaunt, paling face, then her chest, stomach, and finally her leg. Her suit pant bore a bloody hole midway down the shin. Sticky wetness pooled on the plastic floor around her foot. Bill felt dizzy. He forced himself to stay present, to stay conscious. Tara dry heaved until finally the black coffee she drank for breakfast came back up. She doubled over, spraying the floor with swirling bile and coffee that mixed with the blood. With her final heave, her legs spasmed and blood spurted through the hole in her pant leg. That was the moment Bill shut off. Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Buntwein, erstwhile monk turned traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Buntwein, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. Falling gracelessly from the car jolted Bill awake an unknown amount of time later. Based on the dryness of his mouth, he had been out for a while. He became conscious too late to prevent himself from slamming into the dirt. Tara was already gone. Get up. This was Brundy. Colt, get him up. Bill's noodly attempt to stand apparently did not come fast enough. Strong hands gripped the back of his shirt and hoisted him upward. He barely got his legs beneath himself before the hands released him. The second fake officer, Colt apparently, gave him a shove toward a small shack. Brundy's fake cruiser was the only vehicle in sight. Is she dead? Bill asked. Brundy grunted, get inside. Hold it, barked Colt. Bill heard a jingling chain as his wrist was gripped from behind. His vision swam when he turned toward Colt like a camera with a long exposure. He felt the cuffs clasp around his wrists and did not try to resist. Bill's balance had already been compromised before, but now, with his hands behind him, he felt he might topple forward at any moment. Flanked by Colt and Brundy, he hobbled toward the shack. The building might once have been a nice cabin. Bill thought it looked like the type of place his father would have taken the family for a weekend away at one time, but that time had long passed. Now the cabin had its windows boarded up and plywood patches all over the roof. Bill would have bet his life it leaked in the rain if his life was not already at stake. He stopped in front of the front door, questioning whether he was expected to open it somehow. 
He gave it a hesitant nudge with his foot, only to be yanked backward by one of his captors. Brundy caught him, and Colt opened the door. Come on, guys. Maybe you ditched my car, but that tracker will still lead the cops to the road. Don't you think they'll find this place pretty quick? Bill asked, buying seconds to think. They were expensive words he wished he could take back as soon as Colt's fingers pinched his ear. Straight down Bill's ear canal, Colt hissed, Don't lie to me again. So they knew there was no tracker. Oh well. Bill hoped he had at least wasted a good amount of their time, maybe given them a few intensely stressful minutes. He allowed himself to revel in this small victory, until he heard Tara's muffled screams coming from somewhere inside the shack. The room just beyond the threshold was totally empty. Even the small fireplace on the far wall had been cleaned out. Without any cars outside, the cabin would have looked abandoned at a glance. But there were dirty boot prints crossing the wood floor, leading to a closed hatch. In that direction, Brundy gave Bill a powerful shove. When Colt opened the hatch, a foul smell arose, and Tara's cries instantly became clear. I don't want to go down there, Bill said stupidly, only making himself sound as weak as he felt. Go, Grundy coolly commanded. Please don't make me. He said go, Colt growled. He took hold of Bill's handcuffs and wrenched his arms upward, forcing Bill to stoop. He then pushed Bill step by step down a constricted staircase. Golden light flickered at the bottom. The awful odor grew nearly unbearable. Tara sobbed Bill's name. He cried hers back, and she uttered a defeated howl. In that sound, Bill heard the hope that he might somehow have escaped to rescue them die. Are you still bleeding? Bill called to Tara as they neared the bottom. She called back, It won't stop. It hurts. I'll behave. Just please go help her, Bill pled with Brundy. Colt shook his head at him like a toddler requesting ice cream for breakfast, and then they reached the base of the stairs. Bill almost could not breathe. The stench was so intoxicating. Without counting, Bill estimated there were a dozen people crowded into the small basement, including Tara. She was slumped against the wall close to the stairs, applying pressure to her leg as they both had seen on so many TV shows. The others were kneeling in neat rows and illuminated by another fireplace at the back of the room. They appeared to be separated by gender. The men wore loose, dark cloaks and were pronated towards the front of the room where the women knelt, facing the men. There were five of them, three on one side and two on the other side of a pulpit or altar made of bound sticks and bones. The women were cloaked in white, their faces obscured by veils. Not a single cloaked figure moved when Bill, Brundy, and Colt entered the basement. What is this? Bill asked Tara. Brundy said, no talking. Tara shook her head and shrugged. Her wet eyes glistened firelight into Bill's. There's a way out of this, Bill thought. Somehow, he was determined to escape. Get up, Colt ordered Tara. I can't, she whispered. My leg. Colt grabbed her arm and said, Doesn't matter, get up. 
Whether Tara contributed at all, Bill couldn't tell. Colt hoisted her to her feet. She almost went down again when she tried putting weight on the injured leg, but recovered with surprising grace. She wiped her tears on her shoulders, raised her head high, then looked down her nose at her aggressive captor. In all the years they had worked together, in all their trials and tribulations, Bill had never respected or feared Tara more than he did in that moment. Her defiance gave him hope. It made Colt angry. He dealt her jaw a blow so fierce Bill was sure he heard it crack. Tara stayed on her feet only because Colt refused to let her fall. Her curly hair hid her face, but Bill saw blood running down her lapels and saturating the front of her shirt. You monsters, he screamed. He pulled away from Brundy, momentarily freeing himself. Colt, Brundy warned. Colt let Tara fall so he could draw his gun and pointed at Bill. But Bill did not slow. He figured he was dead either way, so might as well go down fighting. Just before he reached Colt, Brundy tackled him from behind. Bill fell toward one of the pronated figures and without his hands to slow his fall, crashed on top of him. The man he fell on crumbled beneath him and Bill rolled sideways, knocking into a second man. He heard Tara issue a blood-curdling shriek and wondered what could possibly have been worse than what was already happening to them. When Brundy tugged on his hair to bring him up to his knees, he saw. The man he had crashed into was scattered all over the floor, his bones. The pronated man had only been a corpse. Now, at eye level with the kneeling women at the front of the room, Bill could see through their veils. He looked into the hollow eye sockets of each of their five skulls. Unlike Tara, Bill did not scream. He had no breath with which to do so. It had all been vacuumed out of him by the ghastly sight and the realization that they were crowded by corpses in the tiny basement, and a second realization that all those corpses had probably also had hopes of escape. Bill, Bill, Tara shrieked desperately, drawing Bill's eyes back to her. Colt was dragging her past the worshipping dead men, bringing her to the altar at the front. What are you doing with her? Bill shouted. He tried to sound angry, to sound strong, but the question came out desperate. Don't worry, Brundy whispered into Bill's ear. You won't have to see. Then Brundy drew his gun, passively aimed, and plastered Bill's final terrorized thoughts across the wall behind him. Tara woke in a cold fog. Her head felt abnormally heavy. She tried to hold it in her hands, but found she could only move them a few centimeters before some resistance stopped them. Her mouth felt sticky. She tried to swallow, and only then realized her head was upside down. The hazy shapes in front of her began to make sense. Two police officers, only not, were wrestling with Bill. Only Bill was not fighting back. Then Tara saw the blood splatter on the wall and remembered. Bill could not fight. Not anymore. His fight was over but hers was not.
She tried again more consciously to move her limbs. A thunking rattle told her why they refused her commands. Her right wrist, it felt, was chained to her left ankle and vice versa on the other side. They were dangling under her and going numb quickly. She was laying on the altar Colt had dragged her to before before she watched her boss take a bullet to the head. Hey, she's awake, Colt mentioned casually. Brundy looked up. He wiped his blood-stained hands on his uniform pants and sauntered up to the altar. As his eyes danced over her body, Tara realized she had been undressed to her underwear before being chained to the altar. How come Bill just got to be shot? She wondered. Behind Brundy, Colt was positioning Bill like the other worshipping men. Tara realized they had undressed Bill, too, and put him in a cloak like the others. In a horrified haste, her head turned toward the side of the altar at which only two dead women knelt. Confirming her worst fear yet, she saw a white dress had been left folded in the open space next to them. A white veil had been placed on top of it. Brundy walked past her and out of her field of vision. Tara could feel her pulse in her overtly exposed throat. She smelled copper and tasted iron. Brundy's arm brushed through her hair as he placed something beneath her head. It hit the floor with a hollow thunk. Is he ready? Brundy asked. Please just shoot me, Tara internally begged. He's ready, is she? Hoarsely, Brundy replied. Yeah, she's good. Come on, get up here. Aloud now, Tara begged. Please don't. Whatever it is, don't. Don't do it. Gotta. Colt said with a careless shrug. We've gone too far to turn back now. Tara said, No, you haven't. I promise. I couldn't lead anyone back here if I tried. Just drop me off in the woods or on the highway. Anywhere. You think we care about you or some worldly authorities? Brundy asked rhetorically. This is so much bigger than you. Bigger than us. We're bringing something here, Colt said. Something that's going to put everything right. All the wars, all the corruption, it ends with you. Let that give you peace. Tara whimpered. If you're going to kill me, just please make it quick. Please, please don't make me suffer. Brundy clutched a fistful of her hair and pulled her head up to face him. Trust me, we're sparing you, he said. You wouldn't want to be around for what's coming next. He let her head drop and Tara caught a brief glimpse of the metal bucket beneath her. Colt said, It's gonna be their world now. Tara had no more words, no more cries for grace. She felt a cold pressure on her neck, felt it rub against the tough bulge of her larynx, then felt a raining warmth. It trickled down her chin, across her cheeks. It ran over her lips, into her nose. It pooled over her clenched eyes until she no longer had the strength to keep them closed. Then it invaded and mixed with the tears which had been dammed behind them. Soon, Tara felt the sensations of her body fade. Finally, she said goodbye to her thoughts and entered the final dream. 
Colt finished positioning the woman's body beside the others. Her blood he poured into the fire. So what happens now? Grundy asked. Now, Colt replied. Now we wait for everything to change. At a hotel conference center in Cedar Rapids, Iowa, 40 executives and franchise owners were impatiently awaiting the arrival of their keynote speakers. They had all given up on small talk and were trolling social media, the stock market, and the news. Oh my God, someone in the back muttered. Suddenly the room was buzzing and chiming and ringing. Is this real? Someone else asked. Another voice. A heart attack? An event organizer took the stage. She had intended to announce the cancellation of the keynote since their speakers had failed to arrive, but an intern had whispered a far more dreadful announcement in her ear just before she approached the podium. Ladies and gentlemen, she began, clearing her throat. I see most of you have already heard. In light of this tragedy, we're canceling the rest of the conference. You should all go home and... Her voice cracked. She turned to the intern and not realizing the microphone could still pick her up, asked, What are we supposed to do when the president dies? You made it out. Congratulations. If you enjoyed the story, please rate and review this podcast wherever you like to listen. Reviews are the best way to support the podcast and help it grow. The next best way is to buy merch from the warningwoods.myshopify.com. The link is also in the description below. If you want more creepy content, including the images that accompany each story, follow me on Instagram at the Warning Woods. If you feel ready, meet me here next week for another journey into the Warning Woods. Thank you for listening. Hey there, it's Rachel Ballinger, and I am extremely excited to invite you to Rachel Uncensored. It's my podcast where I sit down and get real with my friends and celebrity guests where we talk about all sorts of topics, and sometimes we might be under the influence when we do so. We cover things from personal stories to hot-button issues. And it's the only place on the internet you can find an uncensored version of me. It's a side of me that you might not have seen before because it's not the most family or brand friendly. But don't worry, I'm still sort of slightly a decent human being. If you're intrigued, then make sure you check it out. New episodes drop every Wednesday. You can find it on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Trust me, you won't want to miss out on the fun and candid conversations we have here on Rachel Uncensored.